Hello, I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the May 5th episode of DKP Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red Claim Credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Today's learning objective is to discuss the impact of MS and MS disease-modifying therapies on COVID-19 severity. This educational activity is supported by independent medical educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and Eli Lilly and Company, as well as in-kind support by DKB Med LLC. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. With us today, we have Dr. Paul Allwater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. He will be interviewing Dr. Kornberg, Assistant Professor at the Department of Neurology at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, as they discuss multiple sclerosis and COVID-19. Dr. Kornberg, Dr. Allwater, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Faith, and delighted that Michael could join us today. As we're well into our second year with the pandemic, one of the uh, types of patients I think has certainly been uh, highly affected are people with chronic illnesses. And I'm so glad Michael could join us uh, for uh, one of the illnesses where um, his expertise is so important. Um, you know, uh, multiple sclerosis is something where uh, immunosuppressive agents are used. Uh, patients are at risk for uh, their illness being worse during uh, infections and so on. So I think it'd be are really uh, fantastic to get some insights that probably are applicable to many, uh, whether it's a rheumatologic illness or, or other uh, uh, suspected autoimmune-based illnesses. So, so Michael, uh, you know, uh, patients that you've been taking care of, I mean, I'm an infectious disease guy, you know, uh, short-term, you know, you, uh, cure them, you street them, you know, hopefully that works well. Um, of course, we have our HIV patients, but uh, for, for your patients, uh, where clearly MS is, is such a great worry and there's a spectrum of illness, what kind of things have you seen um, or, or uh, problems that you've faced uh, that uh, patients and you have uh, tried to adapt uh, with uh, uh, typical care for this population? Um, so there have been many issues that have arisen uh, during the course of the pandemic. Um, and as you can imagine, some of those issues have changed and evolved um, as the, the conditions of the pandemic have changed and evolved. Um, and they, they relate to uh, a, a number of different domains when it comes to, to patient care. So um, uh, a big one, especially early on in the pandemic, was how do we, uh, how do we provide the sort of care uh, and perform the, the necessary monitoring, both in terms of their disease and safety monitoring for patients um, with the limitations offered by the, the risks of COVID. And so early on through the, through the pandemic, um, you know, when we were in lockdown, when um, the, the outpatient center was entirely closed, you know, we had to, to figure out um, how do we, uh, you know, how do we first interact with patients and see them and examine them uh, and, and uh, get a sense of how they're doing over time. 
Um, and that's where telemedicine came in very rapidly and we all had to adapt to that and, and patients did as well. Um, and you know, then we had to make some very practical decisions in terms of, um, you know, we have patients that get MRIs every six to 12 months, patients who are on therapies that require them to get blood draws anywhere from, you know, once a month to, you know, once every six months. And, you know, how can we change uh, that, that schedule in a, in a practical way um, to, to deal with the limitations of the pandemic without putting patients at risk? Um, and, you know, quite frankly, some patients, you know, took a step back in certain ways because, you know, physical therapy is very difficult to transition to, you know, to a virtual setting. And so I, I think that deconditioning has been a problem for a number of my patients who have more physical disability. Um, and then there's a number of other issues that I think we'll probably touch on later in terms of uh, understanding how some of their uh, immune modifying therapies impact their risk from COVID. And then, you know, most recently, it's, it's all been about, uh, about vaccines. Sure. Yeah. So, so Michael, uh, as we're uh, now uh, well in our second year here, uh, you know, we're seeing patients back in the office. Um, and, and some of my patients are like, no, I, I really don't want to come in. I like the telemedicine for my chair and so on, especially in a field like yours, where I think the physical exam does count for so much. Uh, how do you sort of handle that? Because obviously some of your patients probably are quite limited and difficult to get into the office. And, you know, how do you sort of make that? Is that an individual basis? Do you let your staff make the decision? Do you let the patients uh, opt? I mean, I, I think this is one of the thornier issues in our in our office where, you know, there's lots of back and forth. So-and-so wants to be telemedicine. Is that okay? And, you know, and you said in person, but they don't want to come in. And, you know, um, I, I think this is something at least as long as we're allowed to do telemedicine, I think it's going to be a, a harder area to navigate sometimes. Uh Yes. Um, so for me, so first thing I'll say is, you know, among, you know, among, you know, my group, um, and then I think even more so, you know, in the Department of Neurology, there's a broad spectrum of, of approaches to that, you know, from, from different doctors. Um, you know, my, my own approach has been uh, kind of a combination of what I think is best for a patient and, and you know, what the, the patient wants to do. And so, you know, I, I, I do try to have personal control, you know, over, over that decision oftentimes. And, you know, but being as reasonable as possible for the, for, for the person that I'm seeing. And so for me, first of all, I appreciate, you know, you recognizing how important the neurologic e exam is um, because, um, you know, it's, it's something we try to, you know, drill into the medical students, you know, head still. Um, but for me, it, it's a matter of, um, for brand new patients I've never seen before, I much prefer to see them in person um, because, there are elements of the neurologic exam that at least I uh, have not become facile at doing remotely. Um, you know, there's there's just no way to you know really assess spasticity and you know other issues that are important for understanding the extent of someone's disability without laying your your hands on them. And so, as a general rule, I've tried to have all new patients come in for an in-person appointment. Um, uh, at the same time, if someone uh, um, if a patient kind of reaches out and has concerns that something has changed about their function in a, in a significant way, then it's also helpful to, to have them come in in person and, and I try to make an effort there. Um, there are, you know, fortunately these days, a lot of very stable patients, you know, who have not had any active disease for a while, you know, who report that, you know, their symptoms are the same. 
and I feel very comfortable doing video visits with with them. And you know, I, I've tried to you know uh, adapt that a bit based on, based on patient preference, obviously. Um, and uh, you know, I've kind of come up with a I've made a deal with a number of patients that you know, let's say I'm going to see you in person once a year. Um, you know, but all the other times, you know, unless something changes, we can do video visits. And and I, I find there's a lot of room for negotiation there, you know, while maintaining, you know, the, um, the, the aspects of care that I think are important. Yeah, so I, yeah, I think this is something we'll continue to, to navigate together and it'll be interesting to see how long we're allowed to have uh, the more liberal use, at least with our in-state uh, patients. On a slightly different topic, uh, as an infectious disease doctor, I, I know um, uh, uh, Jess MacArthur and some other uh, of your colleagues have always been concerned that illness might make MS worse or exacerbate um, their underlying uh, problem, whether it's a urinary tract infection or sepsis. Uh, do you have any insights so far since COVID-19 is such a peculiar illness that includes immunosuppressive aspects as well as hyperinflammatory responses? Uh, ha has there been any sense for uh, people who have had COVID-19, how it's impacted their, their disease? Yeah, so um, there has not been a lot of large studies, high quality data around that. Um, so it's uh, it's been primarily anecdotal for me, you know, both with my patients, but also we have a quite a large MS uh, um, group at, at Hopkins. And so, you know, we, we've, uh, you know, we all kind of share our, our experiences. Um, you know, the one, the one thing that we've all seen is kind of this, uh, you know, this pseudo relapse phenomenon. So um, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's two concerns with viral illnesses in, in MS patients. So just like you said, really any, any illness can make existing symptoms worse for, for people with MS. Um, it's, it's the same sort of recrudescence we see in stroke patients who, when they get sick, you know, something knocks them off their horse, you know, their neurologic symptoms are, are worse. Um, so that happens, you know, with many viral illnesses, with urinary tract infections, like you mentioned. We, we've all seen that with COVID-19 as well. So, um, you know, patients who have been on the sicker side, their neurologic symptoms are worse. Um, you know, fortunately, you know, just like other cases of pseudo relapse, um, you know, that is a temporary phenomenon. So there's no really new injury happening to the, you know, to the nervous system. And so as they, you know, get further out from their infection, you know, those, those symptoms you know, generally resolve. And, and we've seen a similar pattern in COVID, uh, in COVID-19 patients. Um, the other kind of, I would call it maybe theoretical concern because, um, you know, it, it's not well established in large studies, but again, anecdotally, you see it with a variety of viral infections is that, you know, there's a concern that it can actually trigger the immune system to produce true MS relapses, you know, new lesions, new injury. Um, you know, I, I can't say that any of us in our group have, have seen that among our patients, fortunately, and it hasn't been studied well, uh, you know, at a, at a larger, you know, registry level. So it's difficult to say, you know, whether that might be the case, but um, at least anecdotally, fortunately, we, we haven't seen that. Well, yeah, that, that's, that's uh, I think, very helpful because um, certainly, uh, you know, uh, high risk factors for severe disease, people often list neurologic conditions, you know, and there have been some case control studies and so on. Uh, 
are patients with MS in particular, do they, do you think they fall into a higher risk category because of COVID-19 in that, you know, with that, that large group that just says neurologic disease? Yeah, so it's, um, uh, it's all about disability as far as I'm concerned. So um, uh, I don't think that MS just by itself makes you high risk for, for COVID. Um, so there's, you know, there's, there's two elements to that question. You know, what is the risk of COVID for their neurologic disease and what's the risk of their neurologic disease on their course of COVID? Um, uh, and, you know, at, at this point, I don't think we have any good reason to think that, that COVID um, is particularly dangerous for, you know, let's say exacerbating or, you know, triggering relapses for their, for their neurologic disease. Um, and so, you know, I tell people that MS by itself is not, um, you know, does not make you high risk uh, when it comes to COVID. But, you know, on, on the flip side of that, uh, in terms of how MS or neurologic disability in general impacts the course of COVID, there, there is some good evidence there. And so, you know, I, I know that evidence around MS the, the best, but um, there have been uh, several large registries. The largest that's published to date included about 840 plus uh, MS patients in, in Italy who contracted COVID. Um, and uh, there were clear risk factors for having a more severe co uh, course of COVID-19. And those were not surprisingly um, age, um, and, and disability and duration of disease. And so, um, uh, you know, I think it's really just a, a matter of frailty. Um, and so, uh, you know, in the same way that, that you know, older patients are at, at greater risk from COVID, you know, patients with greater physical disability who aren't as mobile or generally more frail, certainly, you know, late stage patients, you know, who might have any respiratory compromise, they, they are certainly higher risk for, for COVID. Um, uh, but you know, but MS just as a blanket statement is is not in my in my view, uh, you know, a, a high risk condition. Yeah, uh, of the sort of um, diseases that might have an immunological basis, um, uh, does MS seem to sort of? I mean, for people that may not be as familiar, you know, I I I don't have any. I still do some primary care and just trying to understand you know, where that might uh, land. I mean, there's some people that have peripheral neuropathy problems, for example. Um, uh, is, is there something that's a little different about MS, do you think, versus some, some other immunological conditions, um, just in terms of maybe where this pandemic is or just ge in general? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I don't think uh, MS is likely to be much different than, than other, let's say, autoimmune conditions, you know, both of the nervous system and, you know, other systemic, you know, conditions, rheumatologic conditions. Um, uh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe rheumatologists would, would disagree with me, but, you know, in, in, you know, my general sense is that, you know, all of these conditions, you know, that are really kind of dependent on, on the, you know, the, the immune response, um, you know, they, they generally all behave fairly similarly in, in, the, um, in the context of, infections or insults in, in general. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, someone with a, um, you know, with a uh, autoimmune, you know, peripheral nervous system disease is, is really going to behave differently. Um, and, you know, same with, with rheumatologic condition. I think, you know, what's different is the symptoms that might get worse in the context of, of getting COVID. So, you know, it's, 
it's kind of like anything that knocks you on your horse just makes your existing symptoms worse. And so you know, those symptoms are going to differ based on the, the disease. Um, uh, and you know, also in terms of what, what risk your disease uh, has uh, in terms of your course of COVID is going to depend on you know, what your existing deficits are. But I, I kind of imagine them all behaving fairly similarly because you know, ultimately, uh, you know, the, uh, there's an autoreactive immune response and, and it's just a matter of you know, what the target is in the body. You know, it, it's, it's a concept that I think uh, patients and even some doctors don't, don't um, quite grasp or, or come to the wrong conclusion. I think, you know, of course, every patient is special. Every type of disease is unique to some degree. But so often people think, oh, I have a weak immune system. I'm going to be especially prone to COVID-19 when really most autoimmune diseases are immune systems that are, are ramped up more than they should be. And, and so people are asking, you know, oh, should I get in a, you know, a, a specific a, immune workup to make sure that, um, you know, I, I don't have a deficiency. And, and this is a very common infectious disease question, but uh, I'm just sort of wondering, even amongst your patients, I mean, uh, the number of people that I think feel like they have an immune defect but that its weakness is is usually fairly substantial. Uh, absolutely the same, um, um, you know, among my my patients. Um, and I, I would say, you know, the 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 first you know three months of the pandemic, um, you know, my the, the the patient messages I got were were pretty much almost split in two. You know, between you know people who who felt that they were you know high risk because their immune system didn't function properly. And so they wouldn't have an adequate immune response to, to COVID. Um, and the people who were you know, worried that, you know, that COVID might make their MS symptoms worse. And so I, I, we've, I've had exactly the same experience that a lot of people just have this, this understanding that their immune system is dysfunctional, but you know, not necessarily the direction of, of that dysfunction. Yeah. So, Michael, I, I really want to thank you for your insights. Uh, I think uh, trying to help uh, patients with chronic uh, medical problems, but especially uh, when they're of an immunological nature and you're using uh, immunologically active drugs are always so challenging. So I uh, really appreciate that. And uh, in our next segment, we'll be uh, tackling uh, immunizations in uh, patient populations such as uh, multiple sclerosis. So uh, please stay tuned for our next episode. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us, and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.